I just hope to serve you guys this morning the way Troy has blessed my family yesterday. We, we just felt so blessed and, and so grateful uh, for the privilege of getting to go to a, something you guys might get to go to all the time. But we were really, really grateful. And I, I just want to say, uh, man, I trust you. I trust you. And trust is huge. Trust is huge. If you guys would take your Bible and turn to Joshua 3, uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, because trust, trust is massive. Uh, and to this point in the book of Joshua, really everything is about trust. Will Joshua trust God as he steps into a new role of leadership? Will the people trust Joshua as he leads them into the, the next chapter of their history as a people? And more importantly, will the people trust God? Because that, that really is the question. Everything is about trust. And the hard part about trust is that it takes a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy. I mean, you spend your lifetime getting people to trust you, and in a moment, it can be gone. We, we, we know those stories of a leader at work who's been trusted over years, something comes out about them, they've been embezzling money or they've done something inappropriate and all of a sudden trust is gone. You, you've been married for decades and you see that text that causes you to pull a thread that ends up in infidelity. Trust takes a lifetime to build and a moment to destroy and many of us come in here today and we're wounded because we've trusted people. We've trusted people in our family. We've trusted people in our community. We've trusted people in the church. And we've been hurt. We've been sinned against. And we've been wounded. And so we come today realizing that everything, in about, everything about Joshua here in verse chapters 1 through 3 is about trust. But trust is hard. And then we trusted God. And we trusted God with what we thought he said he would do, and he, he didn't. We thought he said he would do all these things if, we were, was a, if I was a good person and I checked all the boxes, and if I just did all those things, then God would do what I thought he was supposed to do. And the problem in that phrase is not God. The problem in that phrase is what I thought he was going to do. We think that if I just check the boxes and I do the right things, then God's going to give me what I tell him to give me. But that's not biblical Christianity. and It's being sold as Christianity, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And yet, when we check all the boxes and do the right things and don't do what the other people around us are doing, we expect that God's going to give us what God said. But that's not how it goes. And so we have a trust issue with God. And so the biggest question for us today is going to be this. Will we trust? Will we trust? And so I want to read Joshua 3. It's a whole chapter. It's a bit, it's not long though. Um, and uh, if you would stand for the reading of God's word and then remain standing while I pray and then we'll jump into uh, what God's word says. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel. And they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, 
Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the, before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, uh, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gershashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel and from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and, in the, water, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So... When the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam and the city that is beside, beside Zarethan and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless your word. Um, we ask that you would show us wonderful things in it. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts that we might see wonderful things in your word and that we might leave here trusting you? Father, I pray uh, to you because you're a good father. We come to you because you're a strong father and we ask that you would uh, show us your word and your ways today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You guys be seated. Now, just a little bit of review from where you guys have been here in the book of Joshua. Um, our church shares the value of preaching through books of the Bible too, so I just, just a couple of, couple of review things. First, um, the people have been delivered from Egypt. The man who led them through that has now died, and his backup is in. That's what verse 1 says, Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now can you imagine the people watching this transition of power as number 2 gets the plate, okay? Number two stepping up, and now the moment is, is this going to work? And God comes to Joshua and he commissions him in verse 2. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. This is in chapter one. Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I'm going to give to them, 
to the people of Israel. And then, he, and then he tells Joshua what he's going to do in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And so God uh, tells Joshua, I'm going to lead you and the people. I'm going to give you everywhere your foot steps, which is a massive promise. Everywhere you go, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be with you. And then God calls Joshua up to a great deal of courage. Look at verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For Yahweh your God, that word Lord, anytime it's all caps, that's Yahweh. That's the God who makes covenant with his people. That's his covenant name that started in Exodus. Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. So God has said this to Joshua, and then the people respond to Joshua's leadership in verse 16. They say, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go, just as we obeyed Moses in all things. Well, kind of, they did, right? If you know the story. We're going to be just, and Joshua's probably like, no, 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 we're not doing that again. Let's not Let's not do that, but this is what they say. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. You need to hold on to that because that's coming back in chapter 3. So Joshua has been blessed. He's got this internal courage to step into what God's called him to. The people have made a verbal commitment to it. Now it's time for all that to actually get worked out in practice because to this point they haven't really done anything. Okay? And in chapter 3, there's this moment where they're stepping into what they've said they're going to do. And we're going to see three things. I've got a Baptist background, so you all forgive that. Okay? We're going to see Joshua's preparation. We're going to see God's promise. And we're going to see God's provision. Okay? Joshua's preparation, God's promise, and God's provision. We're going to start with Joshua's preparation because that's where it starts in chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim and they um, came, came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now, that word should set off some, uh, some, something in your mind as you hear it. That word passed over because it's bringing up something from the past of God's people. And so when the people read this, they would think about what happened in Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, the people of God were enslaved in Egypt. God comes to uh, Pharaoh through Moses and says, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses. And the tenth plague is that God would send his wrath over the nation of Israel. I mean, I'm sorry, nation of Egypt. But God told Moses that if the people would sacrifice a lamb and take its blood and put over the doorpost of their home. And if they would hide behind the blood of that lamb, that God's wrath would pass over them. And the people do this. And God's wrath is displayed against the Egyptians. And the people are delivered from Egypt through the Passover. And so when we see that word passed over, that's what it should connect us to. And all of that points to another lamb who would be born, live, and die so that all who hide behind the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, might be protected from the wrath of God. 
So we read Passover, and that's what we think. When they read Passover, they looked back to the nation of Egypt. And so they are prepared to pass over. And then in verse 2, Joshua gives them some instructions. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 1,000 yards, about a half a mile. Now, why they needed to be back so far, I don't understand. But God's word says, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So get back about a half a mile so you know which way to go. All right? It's confusing to me too. I'd want to be right up close so I don't get lost. But that's what they do. Joshua uh, gives them these instructions, and then he tells them to get ready in verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So the people are in the right place. They know what's about to happen. Now it's time for God's promise. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now, I want to point out something, that this, this exalting of Joshua wasn't about Joshua. He's not saying, today I'm going to hold you up so people see how awesome you are. He says, today I will exalt you before the people so that they will know that just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Joshua. What God's really doing is saying, hey, I'm with this guy, which is the most important thing. It's not who this guy is, but that God is with him. And it's actually an answer to prayer from verse 16 back, or verse 17 back in chapter 1. And so God makes this radical promise, just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. And then Joshua calls his shot in verse 9. And Joshua said to the people, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gershishites, Amorites, Jebusites, Termites, all those. Here's how you're going to know. And he tells them that they're going to take the ark into the Jordan and the water's going to stand up in one heap. That's another word from the story in the book of Exodus. Now, I want, to, I want us to notice that the way Joshua communicates what's about to happen is all about the Lord. Joshua's leadership is not about Joshua's vision. He's not saying, hey, hey guys, this is what I'm about to do. He reminds them of God's word. He reminds them of God's promise. And he says, he sets them up to see God's power in that moment. And so if you're in any form of leadership, in any form of leadership, in the workplace, in the church, in your home, an important question for us is this, are, are we all about our vision or are we all about God's purpose? 
Are we about our vision of what life's supposed to be like, or are we about God's purpose for what he's doing in the world? Is it about serving those around us so they can flourish, or is it about others around us serving us so we can be all that we want to be? Good leaders make others around them better. Good leaders point others to God's purpose, not their own vision. And to the degree that our vision lines up with God's purpose, people around us will flourish and thrive. Moms, dads, is your leadership in your home rooted in God's purpose and God's power, or is it rooted in yours? Do your kids exist for you, or do they exist for God? Maybe Tuscaloosa is different from the suburbs of Charlotte, but I see a whole lot of parents driving their kids to make up for what their parents never achieved. I mean, driving, driving, driving. And I'm not just talking to soccer. I mean, driving, driving, driving their kids. Not so their kids can flourish, but so their kids can achieve something to make mom and dad feel like they've finally made it. If that's what you're giving to your kids, it's going to crush them and they'll hate you for it. Because what you've done is you've set them up as the answer to your heart's desire. You've basically started worshiping your kids. They're an idol for you. And idols will never satisfy your heart. It will destroy your children, and it will always dissatisfy you. And so, Mom, Dad, is your leadership in your home about God's vision and God's purpose, or is it about you? Joshua, when he's leading the people, he leads them in understanding God's word and God's power. And the people flourish and the people thrive. He continues, look at verse 11. This is what he says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests Bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. That word is not taken from the Passover. That word is taken from the Red Sea. When the waters separate and the people walk through on dry ground. Spoiler alert, end of the chapter 3. Walking across on dry ground ground. You see all the way that God's word is reminding the people of what God has done and pointing to what he's going to do. And so Joshua has prepared the people. He's got them in the right place. God has given his promise to the people, and now we get to see God's provision. Look at verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows the, the, all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. Now maybe that's why they needed to stand back, so they could watch as that water just stood up. They all all get to see from a thousand yards away. What what is going on? Do you see? 
They saw God's provision. Now, I, I, I want us to see first that the actions of Joshua and the priest are not all that impressive. All right, guys, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick up that box and you're going to walk into the water and you're going to stand there. That's all they had to do. They didn't, have to build, they didn't have to build anything. They didn't have to wave their hands. They didn't have to do nothing. I mean, all they had to do was pick up the ark and stand in the water. All they had to do was be obedient. Now, I would imagine that some of them thought, man, surely we got to do more than this. Surely we got to do something for God to move. No, all they had to do was be faithful and trust his promise. And then notice that's not a little bit of water. It says the Jordan overflows its banks during the time of harvest. That's when this was. They, they weren't stepping into a little creek. They were stepping into a flooded river. And just like God promises, the water stands up in a heap far away. And don't miss verse 17. Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now, most of us have probably walked in a creek bed or in a river or you've been down to the Gulf Coast and you know what it's like to walk on something that's been wet. And you know that squishy feeling up in your toes and all that. You know that. Dry ground, a riverbed that had been there since the earth was made dry. And do you, do you see God's power in that? All to remind them, just like I was with Moses, I handled all your enemies in the past. I handled all of them for you in the past. I'm going to handle all of them for you in the future. Just like I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you, Joshua. You guys trust me. You follow me. You walk with me. You're going to see amazing things more than you could ever ask. Or imagine. Now, it's really easy for us to read this and think, wow, that's a cute little story. We can, you know, make some pictures and it'll be nice and cute for the, for the children for Bible school, right? This is a massive moment for the history of God's people. Massive. Just like I was with Moses, now I'm going to be with you, Joshua. That's massive. But more importantly, it's a reminder that God's with them. Just like I handled all your enemies in the past, I got you out of Egypt, I led you through the Red Sea, I'm going to handle all your enemies in the future. You know where they're crossing the river, right? They're crossing the river at Jericho. That's going to be their first enemy when they walk into the promised land. Just like I had Egypt, I got Jericho. You just got to keep following me. That's all you got to do. Just keep following me. Trust me. I'm with you. And so, how do we apply this into our lives? As I said at the beginning, I believe all of Joshua 1 through 3 is really about trust. It's about trust. Now, I'm about to say some things to you as a church, and I just want to say a couple things. The only thing I've talked to Troy about is an Alabama football game. All right? So if you think I say, and I promise, I mean, you don't have to trust me, I, don't, I suppose. You don't have to. I'd love for you to. Um, 
but I just want to say some things. I don't know anything about the future of your church, but I do know a couple things because it's true about my church too. So Safe Haven, as your church moves into the future, will you trust the leaders God's appointed to lead you? That, that was the question of Joshua 3. Would the people follow through on what they said in chapter 1? Wherever you go, whatever you do, we'll follow. Just as we followed Moses, we're going to follow you. Now here in chapter 3, they're actually following. And they're going to get to do that throughout the rest of the book of Joshua. I think that's one of the really important questions for you as a church. Will you trust the leaders God has appointed to lead you? Now, I know some of your pastors, and, and like you, I know that they're not perfect men, but they're faithful men. The only, perfect, the only perfect man was never a pastor. His name was Jesus, and he died on the cross for our sin. But they're faithful men. They love you. They care very deeply for you. They labor hard for you. They pray for you. They prepare to preach God's word for you. They, they cry for you, with you. And to the degree that they follow Christ, follow them. Where, where, where their purposes do not match the Lord's, that's another conversation. But where, to the degree that they're following Christ, follow them. There was an article that came out several weeks ago that uh, said only 12% of people trust pastors, which I was like, I thought it was lower. You know, I mean, I and what I wanted to say, and I can't say at my church because people get upset with me, I would say, you know what? Only 12% of pastors trust people. And here's why. Here's why. People come in and they're nice and they say good things and say bad things about the place they've been and then they roll out the door doing the same thing to somebody else. And over and over again, your pastors love them and are to care for them and are to invest in them, not knowing what the story's going to be. In, in, if, in uh, Colossians 4, Paul says about Epaphras, I, um, I bear witness that he has worked hard for you. That word working hard isn't about laying brick or working with your hands. It's about the emotional toil of ministry. Investing and investing and investing and people rolling out or punching you in the gut. So you have faithful pastors here. To the degree that they follow Christ, follow them. Trust them. And so as your church moves into the future, safe haven, will you trust the leaders God's appointed to you? Second question, as your church moves into the future, do you know what the most important reality is? The most important reality is not who your pastors are. The most important reality is who your God is. And as you move into the unknown, we have a God who has said to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus stands on a mountain with a group of disciples. And he tells them, all power and authority belongs to me. And he says, go, make disciples of all nations. Can you imagine how crazy that sounded to those people? Oh, wait, you're, you're, you're gone. You're, you're, you're dead. You rose it again. But you want us to make disciples of the planet? And then he says, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. Church, 
the most important reality is not who your leaders are. The most important reality is that you've got the God of the universe with you. And he's never going anywhere. He's never going to let you down. He's, he's never going to go away. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so as we walk into the unknown, and we don't know what that is, that what, that's what makes it unknown. As we go into the unknown, we have a known with us. He's the one who loved us enough, even in our sin, to live, die, and rise again in our place so that we might know him. He's with us. And so trust your leaders as they follow Christ. Trust your Lord. He's with you. And then a, a more personal question. As you move forward into your future, will you trust the Lord? Will you trust the Lord? You know I don't know you. <laughs> you know I don't know your story. I don't know what's going on in each of your lives. But thanks be to God, he does. He does. I don't know the anxiety you brought in here. I don't know the argument you had in the car on the way here before you said praise God to the greeter. I don't know. I, I don't know all those things. But God does. And as I've been thinking about Joshua 3 and this historic moment in the history of God's people, I've just been reminded that in Exodus, Moses and the people were dealing with enemies behind them. And in Joshua, Joshua and the people are dealing with enemies in the front of them. And that God was strong enough for both of them. And so whatever you're dealing with, whether you're dealing with something from the past, maybe you're dealing with past hurt, and pain that you haven't shared with anybody. It's a secret that you've kept hidden for a long time. And you thought you'd dealt with it and it just keeps bubbling up. And you push it down and it keeps bubbling up. You push it down. God's bigger than all that. Maybe it's your, a sin or a fear or a failing in the past. Maybe you've got stuff coming that you don't know. That's probably true. And you're anxious and you're worried and you're afraid. And as we stand here in Joshua 3, we're reminded that God dealt with the enemies in their past, and he's going to deal with the enemies in their future. And whatever we bring to the God of the universe today, we have a hope that he's strong enough to deal with both. He's strong enough to deal with what we brought from the past. He's strong enough to deal with what we're going to face in the future. And we can trust him with whatever we're facing because he's already dealt with our biggest problems in our past and our biggest problem in the future. You, you see, the biggest problem from your past is not your pain. The biggest problem from your past is that you've sinned against a God you've offended. That's the biggest problem you brought in here today was that you've sinned against him. And the biggest problem you're facing in your future has nothing to do with what you're probably anxious about. The biggest problem you'll face in the future is the judgment seat of God. That's the biggest problem you'll face. And in Christ, in Christ, he's dealt with your past such that you don't have to fear your future. He's dealt with the past sin that you brought to him and the future sin. The Bible says that we have been forgiven of all sin if we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God for that. There's more grace in God than sin in you. And so he's dealt with your greatest problem. And then we 
have a promise in God's word that we will stand before the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. God has already dealt with your biggest problem in the past, your biggest problem in the future. And so we can trust him with all of our problems in the present. So will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Several years ago, we were at a thing for our kids' school, and uh, there was a little girl who was sharing something, and she just got deathly afraid. I mean, she was so afraid. She was just, I mean, she had the best presentation. She had worked the hardest. Everything was ready. She just got so terrified. And one of our kids uh, kept talking to her, trying to encourage her. It's okay. It's going to be okay. You don't, have to be fr- you don't have to be afraid. And I was like, shut up. Be quiet. Little girl's already embarrassed. Don't stop. And please stop. And then um, he looked at his mom and he said, I just want to tell her that Jesus is with her. And if Jesus is with her, she doesn't have to be afraid. Safe haven. Whatever your future holds, you don't have to be afraid. Because the one who's dealt with your biggest problem in the past and your biggest fear in the future, he's got your present. He's got you. And so we can trust him. We just have to walk in obedience and let him show off. We just stand in the water and let him move it. And then we see his power and his might. And we learn to trust him with the next step and the next and the next. Let's pray together. Father God, I know, I know that there are people in this room who are struggling with fear and anxiety and worry. And there may be people in this room who are still uh, facing their biggest problem in the past and their biggest fear in the future. They've, they've not yet trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray, I pray that you would give us all hearts to trust you, that you would give us hearts to believe and to follow you with everything we have, that we would lay down our fear, that we would lay down our anxiety, that we would lay down our sin at your feet, trusting that Jesus' death in our place was enough, that his victorious resurrection was enough, and that his promised return is enough. So would you meet with us today? And whatever is going on in our hearts, Lord, would you be Lord of all that? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. There are tables in the front on my right and left. There are tables in the back where uh, we observe communion. Communion is a reminder and a profession of the death of Jesus in our place. It reminds us that God has already dealt with our greatest problem and our greatest fear. And so maybe today as you uh, take the elements, as you take the bread and you take the cup to remember that Jesus' body and blood was given for you, maybe today would be a day to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you with my sin. I trust you with my future. I trust you. I trust you. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, we want you to be. It's the, only, it's the only way to deal with the greatest problem of your past and the greatest fear of your future. It's the only way. 
But if you are a follower of Christ, we welcome you to come forward and take a piece of bread and take the cup and remember the death of Christ in your place and his victorious resurrection in your place. And then we're going to sing some songs that remind us of the goodness and greatness of God. And let's bring at least, at least the emotion that we brought to a game yesterday, right? Let's worship Jesus because he's far more worthy of it. Let's stand and worship him together.